Inside of You is brought to you by Neurohacker, Qualia Synalytic. Let me tell you something. If you haven't tried this, you are missing out. I just sent this to my mom. I have it. I use it. It's a product that I didn't, they weren't even my sponsor when I was using this. And I was like, wow, why do I have more focus or energy? Why do I feel better? Why do I feel different? It's because I take Qualia Synalytic, Neurohacker. Look, if someone would have told me, Ryan, that there are science-backed ingredients that could help me feel 15 years younger in a matter of months, I wouldn't have believed it. But uh, I tried Qualiacinolytic, and the rest is history. As we age, everyone accumulates senescent cells in their body. Senescent cells may cause symptoms of aging, such as aches and discomfort, slow workout recoveries, sluggish mental and physical energy associated with that middle-aged feeling. Also known as zombie cells, they're old and worn out and not serving a useful function for our health anymore, but they could be taking up space and nutrients from our healthy cells. Much like pruning the yellowing and dead leaves off a plant, Qualia Senolytic helps remove those worn out senescent cells to allow for the rest of them to thrive in the body. And... You just take it two days a month. The formula is non-GMO, vegan, gluten-free, and the ingredients are meant to complement one another, factoring in the combined effect of all the ingredients together. And Neurohacker Qualiacinolytic has a 100-day money-back guarantee. Oh, I have I have more energy. Uh, I feel younger. Uh, I'm more productive. I will tell you that. I'm more productive. And uh, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more enthusiastic about my life. I definitely feel that. And uh, for me, the aches and pains are less lessened by this. So that is a real important thing for me. Help resist aging at the cellular level, folks. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash inside. Neurohacker, N-E-U-R-O-H-A-C-K-E-R. Neurohacker.com slash inside for up to $100 off and use code inside at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash inside for an extra 15% off your purchase. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp, when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times, we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. 
That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash inside. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Ryan, I am... Uh, Over the moon. Yep. I am... Smitten. I'm a huge horror movie fan. As you guys know, I talk about it ad nauseum. And, uh, you know, Stephen King is the best horror writer on earth, which I talk about in this podcast. Stephen, if you're listening, it would blow me away that you're even, like, your ears are hearing my voice. You're, uh, I'd love to interview you someday, Stephen. <laughs> Can I call you Stephen? Uh, the interview I just had with uh, Mike Flanagan was extraordinary. And I know that a lot of people probably don't know Mike Flanagan. And they're like, oh, well, when's Jenna Fisher coming on? Or when are this, you know, they get excited about actors and things like that. I, I, uh, I get excited about horror. I get excited about great horror. I get excited about super talented people who do horror, like Stephen King, like Mike Flanagan. Directed a movie called Oculus. Directed Doctor Sleep. Also wrote it. He wrote it with Stephen King. Stephen King, you know, of course, the great Stephen King. Also, The Haunting of Hill House. If you haven't seen that on Netflix, is one of the best series ever. I mean, if you think uh, uh, American Horror Story is good, you have no idea what's good until you watch this show. The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, Mike knows how to scare. It's it's a tricky thing. I, I don't think a lot of people scare me anymore. I watch horror movies and maybe I'm jaded. Mike talks about it in this interview. In this interview, he, we talk about a lot of things, but hearing him sort of talk about meeting Stephen King and I could have gone on for hours and sitting down with him and watching that movie, Doctor Sleep, which is out now. You guys are going to love this interview. I, I truly think this is one of my favorite interviews. I, I wanted it. To, it, was, it was the longest one, but it, it feels short. Uh, if you like movies, if you love horror, if you love Stephen King, if you like a good dude uh, going through a little stress and anxiety and trying to make people happy. And Mike Flanagan is an extraordinary guy. We were both fanning over each other, geeking out. Ryan, you really liked it. And you don't know anything about horror and you really enjoyed it. I don't. Uh, well, he. I mean, he said something like a little preview he's like he was the kid who was always like he was scared of dumb things like like fraggle rock like this there's a, a scene in a fraggle rock episode yeah. with the ghosts of fraggle rock and it scared him as a kid yeah. right right and he's turned it around uh and now he's directing very scary things and so i think there's hope for me still as a 31 as year old adult that i can still overcome my fear of fraggle rock <laughs> and, <laughs> fraggle rock scared you no i mean uh, but like something like that like I, I would get scared by like like dumb little things like that like you know like little creepy puppets Right. Yeah. I have those in my house. Yeah. No, I don't like it. Yeah. Thanks. Don't care for it. Well, you know, talk to human, ser what is it called? Uh, services, uh, HR, human HR. resources. What we'll is talk it? to Jess. Call to Jess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, let's, let's get into this. Dr. Sleep is out now. Uh, tweet me, Instagram me, Instagram, Stephen King. Tell him how much you love the movie. Go see it. Support movies, especially Mike Flanagan. I think this guy's got a long career and I want to do everything he does or be a part of something. Let's get inside of uh, Mike Flanagan. It's my point of view You're listening to Inside of You With Michael Rosenbaum Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. I'm truly excited about this. I mean, I've been, I've been excited before, and you might think... People don't care much as, you know, about directors as much as they do actors and musicians and things like that. But I consider you one of the best directors out there. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Mike Flanagan, thank you for allowing me to be inside of you today, first of all. It's oh, it's, it's my pleasure. Yeah. I am excited. You brought me a Dr. Sleep poster. 
Yes. You signed it. Mm-hmm. You thought for a second, is this for you? Are you going to sell it? Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> and I had no idea. I had no idea like what, what the proper etiquette for that should be. So I, I was going to leave you the room to do with it whatever you wanted. Well, when you walked in the house and I showed you around, you saw things from The Shining. Oh, it's yeah, it's a treasure trove in here. Right? Yeah. I have, I have a Shining doll. I have like a lot of toys. Is it weird, a 47-year-old, that you walk into a house of toys? No, no, not at all. Do you have toys? I do. I have a whole room of toys, but it's like the biggest room in the house. I used to, I used to, I used to take over my entire house before I was married, and then my wife Kate, in her generosity, um, said, "You can have this room." And so I've put everything into the room, but it's, it's, uh, it's every square inch of the room. It's kind of everywhere you look. There's something. What What is your prized possession? Oh my God. Um, I mean, I have so many things in there. There's stuff that's kind of from my stuff that I love, and then there's also just the nerdy stuff I collect. Right. And my prized ones would be I've got. I have the actual stunt sword um, that Colin Farrell used in Terrence Malick's New World. Um, I've got that. How much was that? Oh, it's probably a thousand bucks. You paid a thousand. I did on auction, and I was the only bidder, and that that made me really sad. But because uh, <laughs> I, I, I love the New World, it's I was the only out. bidder on this Star Wars thing, this auction for this. But it was at a dog charity. Maybe that's oh, why. But maybe. it was a Star Wars autograph by the entire. I'm talking about everybody, Kenny Baker. Chewbacca, like, uh, you know, everybody. And I got it for like 1500 bucks. And I'm like, this is unbelievable. This is worth at least $1,600. <laughs> That's amazing. Now, I, yeah. um, I've got, you know, a bunch of the stuff, uh, some of which I've collected myself and some I've, I've bought a lot on auction. But I've got, you know, a, a glove signed by the whole cast of uh, Elm Street 1. What? Um, minus Johnny Well, Pat. look at that. There's the Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy. Oh, yeah. And then I, I, I saw another glove above your head. Yeah, in that's back a, there in the corner. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. that's a that's a doll. That's a, like a, a puppet. Oh, oh, oh and I see and, his head there now. Yeah, too. it's a yeah. puppet. Oh, that's fantastic! Wow, that's awesome. <laughs> I've got a uh, I've got a Jason Voorhees mask that's signed by everyone who's played Jason. Everyone, everyone. How many? Uh, I guess that's fourteen. Uh, no, I don't know <laughs> how many are there. I'd have to go count. Um, and then I have uh, a bunch of weird stuff. I've got two sonic screwdrivers from Doctor Who that I'm really proud of. All right, you I give got, me yeah. you give me hope. You know why? Because you are a nerd like me, but you're married and you have kids, <laughs> which means someone said yes to you, Mike, which yes. means maybe there's a chance for me. I believe in you. I, I think it's going to work out. I mean, <sighs> you got to find somebody who's going to walk into this environment and appreciate how awesome it is. That's the thing. Um, yeah. And they, they are absolutely out there. I mean, you know, someone said, what did you really do today? If they had to say everything you did, li- line it up from beginning to end. If I had to, there'd be a couple of things in the middle that were like, well, I bought a little action figure of Tarman from Return of the Living Dead for $49.99 on Etsy. That that happened. That'll happen. I I, I cruise Etsy for stuff. Mostly, lately I've been buying up everything I can find for Hill House on Etsy. Wait a minute. You're buying things from your own series that you produced, created, and wrote, directed, all that, and you have to buy things because you don't have them. Yeah, well, well, fans will make 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 their own stuff. What do they make? It's so cool. They make t-shirts. I buy all the shirts. Um, they'll do uh, kind of paintings, drawings, uh, pendants. I've got these these red room door pendants that a couple of people. What about have made. the tall guy? Do they have something? Yeah, there's there's a really cool uh, t shirt print of the tall man that someone tall made. man. And then I tracked down. I'm, I'm, are you familiar with Readful Things? No, I know Needful Things, Stephen King. Readful Things. Yeah. Um, it's custom, one of a kind action figures um, that this guy makes, and he only makes one of every single one of them. And you have to jump on them so like fast. Like what? Oh, like everything you can think of. Can you ask him? Yeah. 
Uh, so I've say- never commissioned anything, but I, I stalk him. And there's like five or six. Like uh, I, I have, <laughs> and some of them are really goofy. Don't some give of- out the name. Oh, you already did. Readful things. Readful things. So I, I, I'm happy to to advertise for him, but it's it's. I do have a back channel though. I can I can reach out directly if there's something you're looking. You have for. to send me that information. I'll send you all the info. But it's I because that like I have um, I, I he made a tall man figure for haunting that I've got uh and a bent neck lady. I've got that. Oh, but he also made lady. Have you seen it, Ryan? He's not a big horror movie guy. Oh no. You know I I tried to understand like I'm trying to understand why people some people ask me like why do you like horror. What what is it about horror? Are you just sick? Are you demented? I'm not into torture porn. I'm not into a lot of that stuff. I, I describe it as when you're at um, Six Flags yeah, and you're on a roller coaster and that downhill, whoosh, that adrenaline you feel. When there's a moment from, you know, the moment with Tall Man or Bent Neck Lady, those, those moments in Haunting of Hill House that I go, oh my God, I get the goosebumps and I feel it. That is a feeling I just really enjoy. Maybe it's because my mother used to rent horror movies for me when I was eight, like Motel Hell and make them die slowly and whatever. I don't know. But there's that feeling I get of when I'm scared. I also get very angry when people call movies horror and then there's nothing scary about them at all in movies. So that's, that's I want to talk to you that, about that. I've noticed that actually reading, reading your, your tweets. Do you get upset with me? No. No, I love reading your tweets. You do? Yeah. Because you know I definitely want to talk to you. But, but first, before we get there, what is it that you love about horror? That's an amazing question. I I, I think for me, I was a kid who was really scared of everything. Um, And I think a lot of us were like this. I I had a really hard time. I was the kid in the room whenever everyone else was watching Thriller who had to like hide behind the couch or the Landis short video. Yes, that exactly. video. It was scary. That it's was crazy. terrifying. And at the the age I was when it came out, I was I was petrified. How old are you? Oh geez, I, I I'm forty seven. I'm 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 forty one. Okay, um, so you're younger than me when you I saw am, it. yeah, and, and and yeah, and I was I was like the kid probably. I'm sure you probably had kids like this at that time that were around you, like the, the littlest ones in the corner that are like completely petrified. That yeah. was always me, um, and that went way way back uh, to like it was an episode of Fraggle Rock that first scared the shit out of me. Let the music play. It was the yes, uh, not this. It was like please don't let this music play. This is terrifying. <laughs> it was the the terrible tunnel which was a part of, of the Fraggle Rock universe where all the ghosts of Fraggles are trapped forever. And if you wander in there, you're dead. What? So it took me years, actually, to kind of look back at my first real horror feature and be like, oh, my God, I just did Fraggle Rock. I did the terrible tunnel. And like people get dragged off, Fraggles get dragged off, and they're trapped there forever. And it, it traumatized me. Um, and so the, the thing that, that I, as I've gotten older and, and have been fascinated by horror, the reason that I think I figured out why I love horror, I was so afraid as a kid watching something scary and getting through a scary scene or getting through a whole movie or getting through a scary book became practice at being brave in little increments, little controlled safe wow. increments. I never looked at it like that. Well, I think, I think a lot of us, whether, whether we know it or not, you know, I, the first emotion that most of us feel uh, as kids is fear. It's like it's the one thing that kind of unites all of us. Right. And, and so anything out there that lets us exercise that part of our character in the imaginary world maybe makes it so that we can be braver in the real world. And I, I think that's why the horror genre exists on the like esoteric level. Then it's also really fun. You know, it's 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 it releases enough 
incredible adrenaline and, and chemicals into your brain that it, it can are be endorphins very... released i guess they would be they are one, right yeah it, it's a stress reaction fear, yeah. right? oh yeah and i think with with fear with intense fear our bodies release adrenaline it's that fight or flight thing right you know it, it can be kind of an exhilarating experience so it can be really fun too and now that I'm like impossible to scare, like now that I've I've completely oversaturated myself, you're almost jaded, right? Yeah, and and it's like, oh well, nothing. I can understand why other people are being affected by this, but it's not. I, I'm it's like seeing all the ones and zeros in the matrix, and you're just kind of like, you know, oh yeah, it's just ones and zeros. So what then? What scares you? What if it's very because we could talk about this for a long time. It's very hard to scare me. Very few things do that. And and when I said in the beginning, when I said, I think you're one of the best directors around. When it comes to horror, I I, I don't know anyone else where I could think of. I love James Wan. I love mm -hmm. him. Like, Insidious was genius. Conjuring, he can scare me. He's done it. But like, there's few people that I go see him with. The guy who directed The Witch, what's I can't. Uh, Robert Eggers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that movie was spectacular to look at, and there were some creepy moments. I wasn't that scared. But it was great. And what I wanted was more of that witch. When I saw that witch in that cabin, I'm like, God, if there was five more moments like that or more intense, that would have blown me away. Well, there's that brilliant moment when she's kissing the, the, the brother oh, and man. the hand comes up behind his head yep. and the hand is, is so grotesque compared to this beautiful woman that you've yes. seen. You know, I, I think things like that, you know, that, that was a really resonant moment in that movie for me. Um, the stuff that scares me, it changes all the time. I have a very difficult time feeling scared these days. So when a movie does it, it's really kind of this magical thing. And I grab it and I call all my friends. I'm like, oh my God, we have to watch this movie. And then I end up watching it six times and like handing it out. Insidious? Like for the, the last one that really got me was an Australian movie called Lake Mungo. It's just Everybody tells movie. me to watch that. It's so great. It's, it's phenomenal. Everybody says, Ryan, make sure I watch Lake Mungo. All right. I, I swear to God, people were talking about that. I think that's you have scary. To. By yeah. the way, by the way, do you care if I record some stuff? No, 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 no. We do used to use. I just, I'm, I'm like the camera guy. I'm like the. That's a beautiful you know, camera. I, I don't even know what it is. So, what, like, when I say what scares you, then the follow up to that would be, well, if you don't get scared very often, how are you able to scare people? Well, the the things that <laughs> scare me are are ideas. Like, I, I I've become completely desensitized to shocks and startles and jump scares and all that like just using sounds to make yeah you scare. Right, right, i feel right. like that's just walking up behind someone and kind of banging two pots together like it's it's an involuntary reflex right. that you invoke in a viewer and i've i've resorted to jump scares in my career you have to right uh, and some of them i'm i'm you know really embarrassed about and some of them, and some of them i'm really proud of right but um i don't tend to react to those the things that get me are more existential it's it's that Kubrick does it so beautifully. It's it's that sense that you're in this world that's a a, a fly trap that's closing around you, right. and you might not even see the edges. You might not even see the teeth. You don't really know when it's it's it, it will have consumed you. And it's like that feeling of total uncertainty in an environment that should be safe that right. scares. Me. Like the scene with Danny in The Shining with Mister uh, Hallerman, and he says to him, he says, "Is Mister Hallerman?" What's in room 247? Nothing. There ain't nothing in room 237. And you ain't got no business going in there. Yeah. That moment, that was scary. It was just two people talking. And I'm like, oh my God, I got goosebumps again. And that's a story I desperately want to see on screen someday is whatever happened to Dick Haller in room 237 of the Overlook. Oh, I'm dying. It gave to see me that. more goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. 
See, I think that's, you know, so the next question is, this is, this is something since you said you do the interview, which I love that you're here. I kept thinking Stephen King, who I think is the most brilliant horror writer in history. I mean, there's no comparison. I just think you think horror, you think Stephen King. I freaking love him. Yep. If he ever liked one of my tweets, I'd be like, Stephen King liked me. Yeah, I've, I've had that happen. It's weird. I saw that. It makes you make, or at least I make a really weird noise when it happens. Do you do that? But you yeah. act, try to act cool in front of him because you met him a few times. I tried to act cool in front of him. Hey, I, met him I met him one time and, and I did not succeed in acting cool. It did not work. I mean, what do you, what did you, <laughs> what did you say when you first met Stephen King? I don't remember. That's the thing is, is uh, I was all pumped. Somebody has it on tape. Uh, Warner Brothers filmed it, which was also making me feel really weird. Oh, God. Um, but, uh, I remember him coming through the door and then I kind of black out for a while. And then I remember being in the movie theater with him, which was probably about a half hour later, but I'm sure I just kind of tripped over myself and maybe said, I have this habit I'm learning where I meet, uh, where, when I get starstruck, I say the person's name to them, which is a really like bizarre thing that I just am realizing I do. Um, Quentin Tarantino, how are you? I don't even, I don't even have, <laughs> put a question onto it i just say their own name hey it's quentin tarantino not even a hey that's still a sentence quentin i just tarantino. go quentin tarantino and then nothing <laughs> as though i'm waiting for you know i'm narrating this to someone but else that's humble that's sweet yeah. that's like what we need more of in life it's like that moment where you're a little kid where you're like i'm excited i don't get excited that much so when i meet somebody that's one of my it's just it's nice it's nice i think you inadvertently do it and hopefully you think people look at you and go that's cool. He likes me. I hope so. I, I, um, I, I felt like I was getting better at it for a while. And, and then I was on a, a plane a couple of weeks ago and Kurt Russell was on the plane and I just lost it. it was Fucking over. Kurt Russell, the I thing. Know. Talk about a great right? horror movie. Yep. One of the best of all time. That's one of the things I've got in my, uh, in my little nerd room that I'm, I'm really what? proud of. I've got this really, it's a, a great, like one of a kind. Don't say it's a spider statue. Head. Oh no, I would love this. Wouldn't that be great? Spider head would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I, I'm God. Dan, that movie's perfect. But, it really um, is. Yeah, that one holds up. John Carpenter went to my college, Western Kentucky University, and the yeah. fog, when he's talking about the fog, me bragging and name dropping immediately. No, that's okay. We can do this. I, I'm, I'm going yeah, to, we can, we can do it all day. He says like, you know, the fog is moving towards State Street or whatever. He starts naming streets. That's at, in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Awesome. Yeah. It's not that's that cool, fantastic. but it's cool to me. I think that's awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah. So. You just said Stephen King a half an hour later he was watching. Are you saying you didn't meet Stephen King till after the movie was made? Yeah, I, I what? Yeah, the the first time I met Steve was when I brought Steve. Him. Steve, I now can say it's Steve. I'm allowed. I he he made it clear that he was sick of me just looking at him and saying the words Stephen King. So he, you know, he he said please just just call me Steve. Um, but uh, the first time I met him is when I brought him Doctor Sleep and I I screened the movie for him. And he loved it. He did love it, which was crazy. Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> okay, I, I found one. It, I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God, it was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming, dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and it's they're charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. 
before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind the scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. You love The Shining, the movie. Yes. In so many ways. You love Now, I would think that someone who loved the movie, Stephen, would have a problem with directing the sequel to The Shining, considering that he didn't have a good relationship with uh, Kubrick, considering that his screenplay or the book was nothing like the movie. So you'd think that would be Stephen King's, or as you know him, Steve, would just look <laughs> at you and say, let me ask you a question. Did you like The Shining? Yep. Thank you. Nice meeting you. Yeah, it, it was quite a... Uh... It was quite a conversation, and I was so freaked out about it. Um, it wouldn't have happened except um, he loved Gerald's Game. And Who doesn't love Gerald? If you haven't seen it, it's on Netflix still, right? It is, yes. Gerald's Forever, Game. What actually, a surprise, because you don't think that movie's going to... Yeah, well, go ahead with the Stephen King story. We'll get into Gerald's Game. So, so he was happy enough with that, that when Warner Brothers had said, hey, Flanagan might want to do Dr. Sleep, he was like, great. Um, but he didn't know what I wanted to do with it, which was kind of... Fold, folded into the Kubrick universe. Because, uh, you know, in the book, like you said, it's it's so different. The Overlook burned down. You know, Dick Halloran's alive. Everything's different. And so I, I had to get in touch with him and say, hey, uh, before, before we proceed on this, before you endorse it, I just need your blessing on something you might not like. Um, and Oof. his initial reaction was like, no, I, I don't. I don't like that. <laughs> but... Uh, what was it? Uh, oh, you can't tell really because yeah, I, mean, I haven't it, seen. It. I don't want you to tell too much anyway. I can tell a little bit at this point. I can. I mean, it's out. It's out tonight. But I haven't even watched the trailer purposely. Oh, wow! Because I don't watch trailers because there's something I'm that excited about. I want to be surprised by everything. All right, then I'm going to be really careful. I'll be so real be careful. really careful. Yeah. Uh, so I pitched him a scene. You'll know which one when you see the film. And I said, what I, what I want to do for me the the only difference I would make to the Doctor Sleep novel is the location of the third act. And for me, I thought uh, that would be awesome to stage in the abandoned Overlook Hotel of Kubrick's world. And he had a lot of questions about how that could work. He wasn't really keen on it, but I pitched him one scene. and He wasn't um, king on it. <laughs> and um, uh, the pitch went over, and he said, okay, do that. Um, proceed, but let me read it. 
you know, so then, then it was about the script and I sent the script and I freaked out and he came back and said, look, I actually really like this. Really? Yeah. So you had really one shot. Yeah. So you had the nail, you had how many people read this before you said, okay, I'm going to give it to Steven. Two. Um, my, my producer, Trevor Macy, who's produced everything I've done. Oculus. Um, since Oculus. Yeah. Right. Uh, so Trevor read it and my wife read it and then I sent it off to, to King and then, um, how long before he responded? Almost two weeks. Fucking yeah. dude. Well, he fucking. I know. Fucking. It was. Um. And, and he had he had written uh, about a day after he had received it. He's like, "Look, I'm halfway through it, and I love this so far, but my son Joe's getting married, so I got to go do that. Might be a minute before I get back to you." And everything he was going to hate was in the back half. So I was like, "Oh shit!" So I sweat bullets on that for a while, but he came back. He loved it. By then, um. I'd given it to Warner brothers and they'd kind of all decided to do the movie. And, um, when he finally came back and kind of was like, yes, you have my blessing to do this draft. Right. He, uh, qualified it by saying, look, I really love this. And I think it's so good in my experience. This is not the kind of movie a big studio will make. And I got to say right back, like, so funny you say that they'd greenlit it this morning off the same draft you read. And then well, we're how about that? Yeah, uh, but if he if he hadn't had signed off on what we wanted to do, I wouldn't have made the film. Because th- this, you had your y- your vision. This is this is what I think is going to work. You know, a lot of people will say, you know, Jaws isn't as good as Benchley's novel. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> well, then don't go see the movie. Read your book. You know, I'm like, hey, you love Stephen King. You like reading. You're a reader. Great. I'm a reader, but I don't read everything. And if Steven's listening to this, I fucking love Steven. But, you know, I'm, at the same time, I'm like, this movie is powerful. It's one of the, the biggest horror movies of all time. Kubrick had a vision. A lot of movies, if you stick to the book, they don't translate as well, no. right? Yeah. And so you get sometimes where in other Stephen King novels where they go buy the book to make everybody happy and they don't work. Yep. There's been many and there's been many that have worked. Carrie was brilliant. There's I, I love Pet Cemetery. I don't know how. I mean, I loved it at the time. I yeah, thought yeah. it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. The original. Yeah, Mary Lambert. Yeah, yeah. Mary Lambert. Brilliant. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's kind of, I get it. Like, this is your heart and soul. You're writing a book. This is, and so when someone, I guess it's different than when they say, hey, we love the book. We're going to make this movie just like the book. And then they don't. That is, I, I can understand that. That could be a problem. I, I think, you know, to your first point about people complaining about like, oh, the book is better. I, whether something's better or worse between a book and a, a movie to me is, it, it's an impossible thing to quantify. Right. It, it's It's like, oh this painting is better than this song. You know, yeah. it, it's, yeah. it's two completely different mediums. Um, and, and so I, I always look at them as very different things. And I've got the Benchley book, you know, displayed in my little nerd room. All right. Next to signed? my, next to my, yes, signed. He's not yeah. alive anymore, is he? No, that was tough to track. What down. about Blot? Is he still alive? I don't know. Can you write the uh, Exorcist? No, uh, that was uh, Blatty. Really Blatty. Yeah. Uh, if- and no, I don't believe so. I'm not mm. sure. I'd have to check. By the I, way, yeah. how did you feel about this? I love The Exorcist Three. Oh my God! Yeah, no, I, I love The Exorcist Three. It's it's so <sighs> underrated. You. George C. Scott is revelatory. It is not in, it. in the file. <laughs> it is not. How my about, God! The, uh, how about when he's against the wall? He's yeah. like, I believe in infidelity, <laughs> and I believe in. I believe in stank, and I believe in you. <laughs> I believe. Fucking <laughs> just gets so intense, man. No, and he's got you know like his whole chin is like oh, collapsing yeah. into his into his chest. Um, no, I love The Exorcist Three. The the yeah. 
the lady on the ceiling remains. Oh, I mean, a decade color. ahead of its time. You're not the yeah. radio man. Yeah. I knew you weren't the radio man. Yeah. Dude, here's yeah, why I love stuff. this movie. The Exorcist, written by Blatty, directed by William Friedkin, is brilliant. One of the best horror movies ever made. Right? Incredible. No, yeah. yeah. You can't really question that. But you you see the... How do you pronounce it? I was fucking up. The Heretic? Yeah, The Heretic. The Heretic. Yeah, I don't even just, know... Just skip over that I don't one. even know what it means. Yeah. I, I, it's sort of like the... What is it? Well, it's, it's a, you know, a heretic is someone who's basically blaspheming, you know, speaking out in the, the opposite of a religious oh, kind of. Gotcha. So yeah, it's heresy. It's, it's, it's sacrilegious. Right. Expression. That's what it means. They were better if they actually explained what that word meant before people. What are we, what are we going to see here? I think it's the heretic. Well, in that at some, someone at some point was like, you know, it's going to be really scary. What if her eyes are crossed for like a lot of this? <laughs> like, what if that's kind of one of the main oh, symptoms of that. this possession? But, um, but freaking Blatty had nothing to do with it. But then right. you make three. Yeah. No one wants to see three, mm-hmm. but it's written and directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote it, who wrote Legion, yep. who, uh, based on the book uh, I have called Possessed about the real exorcism in St. Louis, who it was the, uh, the boy. Yeah, the little was, boy. Right. Yeah. And um, brilliant. You got F. Murray Abraham. You got. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, who comes back and plays uh, the priest? Uh, yeah, who plays Damien Karras. Right. Um, he comes back. But I mean, this movie is well acted. The story, if you line them up from The Exorcist to The Exorcist 3, yeah. is just, and you know, I always tell people to watch it. Like, oh, really? The Exorcist 3? It has in it, not only, I mean, it's it's a great story. It's got a really yeah. wonderful story. The way they tie it in with the, the Gemini killer. You know, they got this great procedural in the background. And what, uh, uh, Dorf. And, Brad, uh, yeah. Brad Dorf? Yep. No. It, no. Uh, yeah. It is Brad Dourif. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's fantastic. And um, and then you've got these individual set pieces like the uh, the much celebrated, I hope, um, wide shot down the hallway. One of the, be- I, I, one I of the best shown jump scares in the people world. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. It's one of those things where you don't need to do, like that's a, a problem with I, I have with a lot of horror directors is it's it's got to be fast. The kids lose their attention span. Fast cuts, fast cuts. Right. This is a long, it's on sticks. And you're looking down the hallway. They have like one cut to the counter. Yeah. The cop comes and gets his hat back, goes, leaves, comes in. The nurse goes in. The nurse goes out. All these things. You're like, what the fuck are we watching? But then you start to go, okay, something's going. What's going? And the jump that you get is one of the most terrifying moments in, in cinema. And it's directly proportional to the amount of time and patience that you've had with the shot prior to that moment. Like if you cut into that same shot 10 seconds before that crash zoom. Um, it's not going to land. Not as effective. No, it, it's it's the the alchemy of that edit of, of deciding the amount of time to linger on the shot, how to choreograph these actors in in wide, right? You know, in, in the rhythm of it, the flow of it, the the way it it decides when to be totally stagnant, it decides when to pull your eye, and you're desperate for movement. Yeah. By the end of it, your 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 eyes are seeking out anything to move. That's right. And so the moment that moment happens it's not just the abruptness of this lateral move it's that that would that would probably scare you out of your seat because of of the difference in speed and momentum that you've been dealing with while your eyes have been waiting for something fast and he on top of that does a full-blown manually operated crash zoom just cranks the lens and that is the equivalent of being pushed off a cliff as a viewer toward this thing you don't want you to need look at. that you it's need incredible. that moment right yeah. to the statue right to the it's, where it's oh yeah and then and right off of the right <sighs> off, you never even see the moment of violence no, you don't need to see the you don't blood. need, you don't you need don't to see, see anything. it yeah it, it is so exquisite and 
complex and it is so indicative of someone who has completely mastered a scare in the visual medium. Yeah. It's it's one of the most educational shots in in horror cinema and that the rest of the film around that moment is just as strong and helps prop it up. How about the moment where at the end where the old woman's there at the house and goes with the giant scissors? I mean, yeah. that's huge. And goes, Lieutenant, I wanted you to see this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. then, and she pulls her out of the way before her neck gets right severed. Right before it, yeah. Oh. Yep. Or just the moments where Brad Dorff is like, you tell them I am the Gemini killer or you will suffer. Yeah. It was just like you were like so invested in this and so on edge. When they, they, they force you to kind of lean into this conversation. And that's the, it's the beauty of movies like Silence of the Lambs, where it's like you're, you're hanging on a conversation. And that, that's when a, a stranger calls. Yeah. And, and that you, you need great writing and you need great actors for, for an audience to say sit that. And, and, and just exist in a conversation to the point that it can create tension. That's art. And, and it's something that, you know, you look at what Blatty's doing there, prioritizing those things characterization, right. conversation, mood, tension, atmosphere. Um, and then you look at where the genre tends to go, which is with the path of least resistance, which is to get rid of all that and just startle somebody, you know, or gross somebody out. Right. Or be like, hey, wouldn't it be awful if you were systematically tortured while tied to a chair for two hours? Because we can replicate that experience. <laughs> yeah. you know. And, and it's like, yes, I can objectively say that's a very unpleasant thing. But they're like, but that's the whole movie. And it's like, yeah. okay, well, that's all you got? All right, cool. And the amazing thing is about the genre, there's there's an audience for that. There's there's kind of a flavor of horror for everybody, you know? So, yeah, it's tough. And and as much as I, I could be like, ah, I'm not interested in watching torture porn, then I watch Martyrs, and I'm like, this is genius. How genius. is that? Yeah. Well, by the way, folks, listen, if you're listening right now, which I you should be, I mean, I shouldn't say that because you're already listening. <laughs> ridiculous <laughs> but like we aren't even we not we aren't even talking about anxiety we aren't even talking about like how he got here we're gonna get into that a little bit but right now i mean we're I'm, this is exciting for me so just fucking back off for <laughs> um what were we saying uh uh i think i was on martyrs 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 yeah. is one of those movies where you're like it's just, and a lot of the best movies are found not in theaters i yeah. hate to say it the best movies you get if you dig deep you're gonna go through a lot of shit but you're going to find one like Martyrs where, it, you know, it's just when you think you're watching a certain movie, you're going down to the next level in a basement or whatever. And you realize this is a different movie now or another movie. Um, what's the movie with the girl who asked the guy to prom and he says no. And then so she kidnaps him, her and her father and torture. They torture him. Yeah. At the, and by the way, you think you know what's going on in that movie. What is that called? I think it's called The Loved Ones. The Loved Ones. That's yeah. it. Mm hmm. Why wasn't this in theaters? Too gratuitous? Too... It was brilliant. Come well, on, I, they go in that basement. Yeah, no, it's, it's wonderful. I, I, think th- I think what you run into there is that when you're creating a product for a giant theatrical audience, it has to be less specific. It has to be broader um, or else people aren't going to come out to see it. And, right. you know, I, I think that's why you, you get these really awesome companies like A24 who are consistently taking risks with films that otherwise five years ago would never have have had a theatrical run you know even a limited theatrical run and they're getting supported i think that's wonderful but a a lot of that's because horror fans like you know you have to dig through every possible corner and turn over every rock whether it's streaming or it's importing dvds from another country you know trying to find great material because for the longest time 
you know, wide release pictures had to play by this kind of paint by numbers structure that would never take risks. And they, they couldn't be too scary. Right. That means people might leave or they won't bring their kids. Hey, how long is Dr. Sleep? <laughs> uh, it is it is a, a brisk two and a half hours long. Now, let me tell you something. Yeah. You know, I've been one. You've, re you've read my tweets. I have. So now usually I'm like, movies don't need, shouldn't be that long. I will say this, this is, and I said this. If it's one movie that should be two and a half hours long, it's a movie that's following The Shining. That's a sequel that any horror movie fan or any... Buddy who loved The Shining, which I don't know if there's anybody out there who doesn't or have read the whatever. I want this. I've been waiting for this forever. You want it to be two and a half hours. It's not like these other movies that are just like, oh, this is a horror movie that came out. And it's just like, look, The Exorcist was barely two hours. Uh, you, you don't always need to be that long. Now, when you're directing, I, I never, maybe this is what it is. I never feel like that's why I wanted Johnny. When I watch your movies, I never feel like they're that long. I never even looked to see how long I was watching your movie. Maybe that's, that's the difference, but maybe that's the difference. Well, I, I'm never thinking about how long the movie is. It's, it's all about the story. You know, how long does the story take to tell? And in, in the case of Dr. Sleep, when I read the novel, I put it down and, and my first thought was it's five acts. That's just the story that he told. Um, so I knew any movie would be long. The other unavoidable reality about Dr. Sleep as a story is that you've got kind of this whole prologue you have to do just to catch everybody up right. and, to, and to bridge this four decades, you know, between where we leave Danny Torrance and where we pick him up. We got to cover that. Right. We got to tell everybody what happened so that then we can get into our primary story. But once you get back into the Overlook Hotel, you never want to leave. That's the problem. Right. And, and that happened to me in the and script. And most of the time you can. And most of the time you cannot. It, it's forever and ever. And, and it happened when I was writing it <laughs> and it happened on set, you know, like we never wanted to break those scenes. And so then, then you're looking at a third act that by itself is 45 minutes long. You, and know? you want it. You, you need want it. it. Did you yeah. ever think, you know what, for lack of a better word, fuck people who haven't seen the shining. If they haven't seen the shining, fuck them. We're not going to recap because everybody that loves the shining we don't need to tell everybody what happened. They should know if they're going to see it. Well, we didn't <laughs> recap so much as we have another character um, named Abra, who's a teenage girl who doesn't know anything that ever happened to the Torrances or the Overlook or anything. Right. And she's our way in. So we didn't do like a previously on The Shining. You know, it, it's more, yeah, I get you. Yeah, it, it was more that we kind of had to introduce her. And she very organically learns about, you know, Dan throughout it. But when it came to the runtime, knowing it was always going to be long and knowing that was going to be an issue, you know, and this was before, like, I had no idea what we were making. How long the was the rough cut? Uh, my cut was three hours. And were you happy with it? Like, this is it. Yeah. We're done. I was thrilled with it. I knew, I knew we weren't done. I knew it couldn't run theatrically. It was too much for a theatrical run. But you didn't know what to cut. You never do, do you? You never do. And then, so you just try things. And, and I tried, I cut even further back. I, I, we auditioned a version of the movie that was like two hours and five minutes. And it just didn't work because what you lose there is character. And, and so you didn't care about people. You have, don't you think that's the most important? It I is. say this every time. Yeah. Whenever you watch a movie, whatever it is, whether a comedy, I'm not going to laugh if I don't really like these guys. I'm no. not going to cry if I don't feel for them, if I don't empathize. I'm not going to be scared uh, for them if I don't give a shit about them. And yeah. I think, like you said, great acting, emotion, and you care about them. Like your characters in um, Haunting of Hill House. I really liked them all, even though some, they were all flawed in many ways. Oh, yeah. They I was with flawed, them. I, I was think. with them. Yeah. And I think that even in like Oculus, 
again, you had Karen Gillan and you get Katie Sackoff and you had, you know, the performances there were just dynamic and you like these people. Well, and even, uh, even villains, I imagine you've got some experience in this in taking, <laughs> taking a character who is an iconic villain and imbuing him with sympathy, you know, uh, it, yeah. so that if, even if you're not going to condone who he's going to become, you're going to understand it. And, and that, that level of investment in character, whether you like them, because you can love a villain. And I, I loved Lex, oh, thank you, you know, um, that level of, of work is, is the only thing that makes a story work. Stephen King knows that. That's why his books are the way that they are. Yeah. And that's why when he decides to get rid of that, when he's like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to deposit any love into these characters. I just want to fuck shit up and set something on fire. He writes under Richard Bachman, you know, and, and <laughs> right. it's, it's this really fascinating thing to me. Um, but, but yeah, so, so the characters kind of dictated the runtime in this case. Um, most people that I've talked to about it uh, said it didn't feel like two and a half hours. Well, that's the most important um, because I just, I, I think it was because this year I, there was a couple of movies I went to and, but also I think I went into them thinking, I'm not going to like this anyway. I, I already know that this isn't for me. You're, you're watching it for some reason. Well, and there's that too. People bring stuff into the theater. The, the idea that they don't like, like no movie, you and I are never going to walk into a movie and greet that movie on its terms. It's just never going to happen. Right. And I knew there were, I, I had it at 50-50, and it, it looks like, based on the tomato score, it's about 73-27, uh, instead of 50-50, of, yeah, yeah. of people who were going to hate Dr. Sleep just for existing. And to those people who think it's sacrilege to, to even kind of approach this movie, that it's because of Kubrick and because of The Shining, to make the film at all is, is, is not acceptable. To those people, any runtime, eighty-five minute version of the movie Doesn't would have matter. been too long. It's not long enough. It's too short. It's yeah. just you're always going to get the haters. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I mean, that's par for the course. And that's yeah. also one thing you know. With uh, Rotten Tomatoes, I just I get so pissed off at Rotten Tomatoes. And you look at these movies, and they say ninety percent. And then I'm like, I go, I go into the theater, and I'm like, who the fuck? And I still get pissed off because I'm like, I know horror. I go in, I'm just, I want to love it. I want to be scared. And then when I watch a movie and it's not good, I feel like, unless I'm just, but why does it make, they make so much money. They always make money. Yeah. So then I start thinking, okay, I don't know what I'm talking about. I guess I should just close my door and shut the fuck up. I feel that way all the time. I, I feel that way all the time where I, it's, it's supposed to be my job <laughs> to at least pretend to know right. what people want to see. I have no idea. And, and there are movies that I'm like, oh, people are going to eat that movie up. Everyone's going to love this film. It is going to crush and then it just like just blips out. Nobody sees yeah. it. And then I'll go see like this other movie that's this juggernaut at the box office. And I'll be so excited. And I'll see the certified 98% fresh, you know, tomato thing. And I'll go in and I'll come out of it and be like, Ugh, but that wasn't for me. Yeah. I don't get it. What am I doing? What, what, where am I so disconnected kind of from the zeitgeist? Yeah. What people like. And I have no idea. I don't like, even, yeah, like, I don't even ask for much, Mike. <laughs> my, I don't want much. You if I want... go into the shine, if I go mm. into Doctor Sleep, yeah, I'm telling you, if there are three, four moments where I go, oh, that is so fucking cool, or I go, oh my god, holy shit, you give me a handful of those, three, three, because I don't even get three from most horror movies out there. I know if you're listening, if you're a horror fan, you don't get them either. I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna go, dude. Bangkok, man. I don't <laughs> See, know why this is a, this is a fascinating I mean. kind of way to to do. Like a, a meeting and an introduction to each other like yeah. this, because 
I, where I sit, I feel like it's 50-50 for me whether you're going to come out of that movie and be like, Mike, oh my God, dude, I love it. Or you're going to come out and be like, fuck you, dude. No, like, I have no, no idea. No, no, you're wrong. And... No, are you wrong? You're wrong because I do know you, <laughs> um, Mike. You may not know me. You may just know me from TV or movies. <laughs> but let me tell you, Mike, I've seen your work. And you are, you slam dunk it. I know you wrote Oculus, right? Yeah. But, dude, watch the movie Oculus. And then after you watch it, you go, wow, that was pretty cool. And that was scary. Then I want you to go, wow, if somebody else would have directed it, though, would it have been that cool? I don't think it would have. Maybe because it was your baby. Maybe because you wrote it with the mirror and the performances. And you're in this house. And it could be stagnant. And it could get old. And it does it. You keep us going. You keep us guessing. You keep the camera moving. You keep... The characters, it's just, I know from that, if it was that, was that alone, I'd be like, okay, well, okay, that was great. But then watching Haunting of Hill House, seeing your work and, and being scared and watching it and enjoying it like I do, I know that I'm going to like it. Wow. Well, I, I truly believe I so. I, I, uh, I think you're going to have, no matter what, just as someone who loves The Shining, and I can tell just walking through your house oh, yeah. <laughs> how much you love The Shining, which, which just heartens me. It's, it's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Um you're going to have strong feelings, you know, and, and, and they could go either way. I felt the same way though. I mean, how hard is it as a director to just go, let's just say there's a magic stop button, like end. Yeah. Like let's say after you're, you're editing, producing, all the notes are coming in editing. We need to do this, blah, blah. We need to get this. And then one day there's just one button. It's like a Ren and Stimpy episode. Will, could that Stimpy press the red button? The, <laughs> the candy shiny like candy like button. button. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you press it and it's over. That's yeah. it. Doctor Sleep's done. You're that's no touching it anymore. Yeah. How hard is that one moment? Somebody does it for you, thank God. Because the and I forget who said Kate, it. Kate, your they, wife. Yeah, Kate would, does it. Enough. It'd be great if Kate was. Watch your children. It's usually the studio. They they do it. And it's that thing where like I, I forget who said it, but they, they said uh, movies aren't finished, they're abandoned. And and that is how it feels. Wow, yeah. 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 That, that you you hit a point where suddenly the buzzer goes off. And this thing, wherever you've left it, is just taken off the table and thrown into the world. And, I, and I've had the experience on this movie where I thought the movie was over. And they were like, you can do one more thing. You know, and because and, and, I've been chewing on something that was bothering me. And I was like, God damn it. We'd already delivered the movie. And, and I got to do it. They let me do it. And, and I, I was, was actually. It costly? It, I'm sure it was because I was, I was already in Vancouver doing The Haunting of Bly Manor. And Warner Brothers sent. And Avid had it built in my office in Vancouver, sent the film up handcuffed to somebody, you know, on, on, a, on a plane who's going to get their arm cut off if anything happens. Is it really handcuffed drive. or is that just kind of like... I think it might have really been like they, they handcuff it. Yeah, I think they really do. I, it, I don't know if it's physical cuffs, but I think that is an option. I think they will do that. If, if sometimes you, shit happens. Sometimes shit happens. Right. But they brought the movie to me in Canada and I had to do the change I wanted to do and then send it back and say can can we just retroactively swap out this one reel all over the and you happy you did it? are you world? so happy you did it i am and how much did you stress over that one th one thing a lot i lost sleep for about two weeks and that, that was why did you and, call and your doctor they were in the same place sleep <laughs> hey, hey, hey. terrible well done terrible. i um they were in the same boat was the thing was they right. they uh you'll probably know that bit when you see it too there's a scene in the film that's almost impossibly difficult to watch and it's it's the most disturbing thing I've ever filmed, and um, like I had a hard time watching it on set, and we shot so much more of it than is in the film, and it was always this thing of like if we do this wrong, people are gonna get up and leave, 
but we had to do it right because it's also the the driving oh force of the whole God. movie. I, I, and, I want, oh, yeah, I and, want to ask you something, too, but I can't. I know. I don't want to ruin it for you. I want to say. It, you'll, the second it happens, you'll I, be like, I, oh, it was this. Yeah. I, I have a feeling I know what it is. Okay. okay. Go for I, it. I'm going to say we can yeah. cut it. We can oh, cut it. All right. But, I, but, I, but if I say it and you say yes, then I, I don't get to see it. But I'm still thinking it. Okay. So th- this scene has nothing to do with a single Torrance or any event of The Shining. It's a, it's a completely unique to Dr. Sleep scene. Directly from the book. I get, I'm getting chills. And, Look at my arms. Um, Look. You'll know, you'll know instantly, oh, this is what he was talking about. It's, it's so hard to watch. It's so hard to kind of endure that the studio had been kind of chewing on it. We'd done a version that left a lot more or a little more in. And they had, they had said, hey, it's still bothering us. We think people are going to – it's too much for people to take. And I had to agree. I was like, I've been up at night too. You need to send the movie Jesus. so I can back it off. <laughs> so I can just take out the the take out the ten seconds that's going to make this at least palatable. What's your favorite shining scene? The mo- scene from the movie. God damn. Can I can I guess? Sure. I mean, the old woman in the bathtub is pretty fantastic. Fun. Yeah, Mrs. Massey's great. I think the most terrifying for me, and I, maybe it's you, is when little Danny's sitting with his dad. You don't know what's going to happen, and he goes, "Dad, you wouldn't hurt mom or me, would you?" Did your mother tell you that, Danny? Did your mother say something to you? No? Danny, I love you. You know what I mean? That you do scene... that really well. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know the you words. You do that really, really oh, well. well. Um, yeah, uh, I think my favorite scene is when Jack backs Wendy up the stairs oh. in the Colorado Lounge. Come on. There's something, the way it's shot, the way it's performed, the desperation of it, the insidious... Like just the incredible evil of it, uh, the way the space compresses as you get higher and higher. And then, how do they do that? Oh, you just walk with the camera. That's just a, a handheld. Not doing too much. Um, we did it. We we kind of recreate that scene with Steadicam, which is something you know that was pretty much essentially invented on the set of The Shining, right? Um, but uh, but yeah, we 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 kind of retraced his steps in a couple really interesting ways. Give me the ways. bat, Wendy. Give me the bat. I'm not going to hurt you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Wendy. Wendy. Um, not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash, bash your, your brains, brains in. in. Bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> um, Stay with me, Jack. Stay with me. Don't hurt me, Jack. I'm very confused. I'd like to go back to my room. <laughs> oh my God, little pigs! Uh, do, you've had your whole what is it? You've had your whole, whole life. fucking life. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you've had your whole fucking life to think things over. What good's a little? What is it? What are another couple minutes going to do for you now? I know you guys are loving this. Two two nerds just geeking out right now. Um, did, I mean, did you see a documentary on The Shining? Yeah, did you see the two thirty seven. No, nope, not yeah. that one. No, 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 different one. Well, th- th- this was based on uh, Kubrick's assistant. Oh yes, brilliant. Uh, yes, no. Fantastic. Have you met him? No, I haven't. I would love to. He seems like such a cool guy, right? Well, we uh, we sent the movie off to kind of everybody over in, in the Kubrick world um, to the estate, and, and they all watched it. He'd be an interesting guy to have on the podcast, wouldn't he? Yes, my God, yeah. I would listen. What to an that. eccentric guy. He liked that. He like quit that. his whole acting career to work for Kubrick. Yeah. And be tortured. That's a torturous life. Yeah. Well, I, it sounds like Kubrick tortured you know, everyone. Everyone for for a lot of reasons I don't understand. Do you think or do you have any inside in, insight into Kubrick's relationship with um what's her name? Uh Shelly Duvall. Shelly Duvall. That whole thing in the in the uh 
that Kubrick's daughter filmed, mm-hmm. you know, and you see that thing. It's like, oh, God, you know, God damn it. We're, Shelley, you, they, the cameras are rolling. How do you, there was this, do you think he was doing that to get a performance out of her or did he just not like her? I don't know. I, I you know, I, I wouldn't want to speculate about that too much. It, I've seen the footage and it's rough. It could be, I've, I, you hear the stories of directors who try to kind of create that emotional experience in their actors to try to get an honest performance. And he was notorious for kind of putting his actors through the ringer um, in order to kind of strip away any preconceived preparation they ever could have put into the part. And Wow. You know, so don't look in the mirror away. if you're working with Kubrick. Yeah. I, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I got to ask uh, Danny Lloyd about it. Danny um, Lloyd, huh? Yeah. Um, What's his name? Uh, so Danny Lloyd uh, was on, he was on set for us for a day. Really? Yeah, um, for, for a cameo. And, and I got to say to him, okay, so what, what do you remember? You know, he was only six when he, when he made the film. And he never did, you know, his, his acting career stopped right. basically at the end of it. Do you, did you see any of, of, of the stuff you hear about with, with Stanley and, and Shelley? And, and he said, no, I, not that, that I remember. And I can, I can imagine that this isn't something you would want to do in front of the six-year-old on the set anyway. He says, what I remember about Shelley was that she was very, very nice and she was very, very sad. Hmm. Um, you know, he, he didn't even know for most of it that he was making a horror film. It's like he was very much on the outside of that experience. Right. And would just kind of, Stanley would say, make your scared face and look at the, look here. And he didn't even know what he was looking at. How did he get those? Those faces were Oscar award winning. Yeah, they're, they're amazing. That and just that shake of the head with the drool and the. Yeah. And he would just be like, okay, now, now, and, and Stanley, I guess, would just walk him through each one and be like, now look here, and now you're real scared. Now shake your head. Now look this way. And Wow. Yeah. Did you get to look through any shining footage, old footage that Warner Brothers has, like scenes that were cut, moments, different takes, all hundred takes of that door being axed? That's like going to George Lucas's fucking ranch and going in that Star Wars thing, which I was in. God, it was the best thing of my life. Did you get to see all this stuff that no one's seen? I've seen a bunch. I, I haven't seen footage. And I asked, I was like, "Where's? I want to see the original ending. I want to see that that rumored ending where the police go and... And they can't find Jack's body, and then they go see Danny in in the hospital, and they give him the they give him the ball, you know, that was rolling toward him. Right. Uh, it's like you read all about this stuff. I wanted to see all of that. Um, they didn't have it. I I don't know if anyone has it. I don't know if it exists physically anymore. And and um, what what I did get though, um, I had access to all the footage that was in the film, and they were restoring it. They were doing that big 4K restoration at the time. So I had I had all. Of, of it in its like most beautiful kind of pristine state. Uh, and the other thing they gave me was all of his production design elements, blueprints, set design plans, the notes, carpets, the walls, the, the... Yep, all of that so that we could rebuild the hotel to his specs. And amazingly, a lot of the, the drawings that, that we got, and I've made copies and framed them and put them on the wall in my office. And I have some in my nerd room. Um, they have how much, how, how many, well, how or, much, Oh, how much? We'll, we'll, we'll offline on that oh one. Oh, my God. Um, but they have his like handwritten notes to himself and to the crew about certain elements of it. Like the, the, the beautiful kind of exterior, ultra-wide through the trees look at the hotel. He's marking, you know, make sure that the, uh, the poles are hidden by these specific trees, protect for, you know, the 133 aspect ratio here, uh, make sure. It, and it's just all these little notes. And, and so that stuff was, um, I've called it a forensic film school, like that I got to go to making the film. 
where wow. I got to kind of take this class with Stanley Kubrick, only he wasn't there. And I got to put my camera right where his was put in the same spaces that he built. And I could interrogate him and say, why didn't you put the camera five feet to the left? Why not go on a longer lens? I could just try that and see what it looked like. And time and time again, I would come back and say, no, he put it in the perfect place. Wow. And there's so no other place in this whole room. You were questioning? Yeah. I, I wasn't I wasn't like no. arms folded. Like with You were the just fuck. seeing if it could work. Yeah. I, I just wanted to understand his better. brilliance. Yeah. I wanted to see his thought process. I wanted to be able to kind of say, okay, so why, for example, um, he, he really didn't prioritize continuity over performance and symmetry of his frame. Um, he would move actors. He would move props. There, there's different color typewriters throughout the movie. Didn't care. You know, no one knows really, unless you're really, well, I, I think no one cares. And it's one of those things where like, when you watch a movie, like when I watch, um, when I watch the untouchables and you see Connery's button go open and close, open and close, open and closed, you don't give a shit because you're watching Sean Connery into Palma's untouchables. You just <laughs> right. don't care. And right. it's like, you can be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, somebody fucked up his wardrobe continuity. I see it. It's all over it. Do you learn, do you, do you, uh, do you, uh, let some of that stuff go? Do, are you I do now. You do now. You yeah. learn from him in that way. Yeah. I, I used to drive myself crazy on continuity. And, you know, the reason you put Wendy in the dead center of the stairs when in the reverse shot on Jack, you had her cheated far over to the left. And I would say before this experience, I would say that's too big of a cheat. You're clearly, you know, messing up the, the continuity of the blocking. No one's going to buy it. Now I know better. Of course they are because um, they're looking at her. And they're looking at this beautifully composed shot where the chandelier is just centered over her head. And there's equal weight on the left and right side of the frame at the staircase on either side of her. She's backing up at the bat and it feels right. Do you think somebody ever said to him like, um, Stanley, uh, it's a little bit, I don't know. It's not it's consistent. The continuity's a little bit. Shut the fuck up. I mean, do you think people ever, he had people who would tell him those things? If, if they did. You know, it I better I, be right. I, well, and I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine he wasn't aware. I, I believe he was completely aware, and he and he made the decisions, you know, confidently uh, to be like, I don't care, because I'm sure someone pointed out to him at a certain point that when you open the bathroom window in the Torrance residence, and this is where Danny needs to slide down the snowbank, the very end, because of the way he built the set. When you look at the front door of the residence in, in relationship to the staircase and the rest of it, you know that that window opens up into a hallway. It's unavoidable. When you built the window there, it physically opens up into a hallway. It's, it's not like, you know, whoops. He didn't care. And there, there, was a, there was an element, I think, that's very intentional and genius where he just said, you, you go through all these pains when you're building sets, especially on different sound stages, to create an environment in someone's head. You want it all to make sense. Right. You think it's your responsibility as a filmmaker to protect that logic. And he said, no, no, no. In fact... It shouldn't make sense. And if you really try to think, the more you try to think about it, the less passive of a viewer you are, the less sense it will make. And the Overlook Hotel will become a maze. And it'll be impossible. Hmm. That's a level of genius, you know, that I, I don't know how to approach. Because you can look, if I were to do that in a vacuum, if I were just to be like, ah, no, it, it, it shouldn't make sense. People would be like, that lazy Flanagan like, just doesn't <laughs> care about continuity. Um, and they'd be like, you suck at this, you know, because I could never, I wouldn't have, the, have had the foresight to, 
to approach it that way intentionally. Yeah. I, I don't know how you, with, with something like this, with the movies that you do, I, I have some messages, some voicemails from some actors that have worked with you. Oh, now, God. Oh, no. Um, and first of all, do you get anxiety? Do you take things for anxiety? Are you overwhelmed constantly? How do you balance your life with you, Kate, and the three kids uh, and have a life to doing this new series from doing transitioning? You're always working. Yeah. You're on set. You want to make this the best. You're in Stephen King's like, this has to be good. This ha How are you not? like snorting coke taking xanax <laughs> how are you keeping your shit together flanagan well it's funny the the kids in the marriage keep you off the coke pretty easily <laughs> you know uh do they they do it's um, are you out of your fucking mind <laughs> <laughs> you know i i actually as as you know i've had more kids and and settled into that part of my life i stopped drinking yeah i stopped smoking you know which which was like my thing on set was chain smoking mm -hmm. um for a decade you know for two decades I couldn't, I couldn't function without it. Like, but I, I've gotten healthier um, as a, as a direct result of, of having a family. The, the truth to, to your question is, I'm riddled with anxiety. Riddled, riddled. Uh, it's been that way since I was young, and I worked at this pace in the beginning because I thought my career could evaporate at any moment, and I'd wanted for so long to do this for a living, and I'd been through so many jobs in and out of the industry that were barely keeping the lights on and and I didn't have insurance I didn't own anything I didn't have a car you know like I I was scraping by for so long that I thought when it looked like oh god I'm actually making a movie for a living I'm getting paid enough that this is my job to make this movie which didn't happen for me until Oculus at that point I I thought this can go away at any moment um, I can't wait to see what the world thinks of Oculus. I can't wait for the reviews. I can't wait for studios to, to show up and, and give me another job. I better start the next movie right away. And so I started the next movie um, while Oculus was just finishing post. And it's been that way my whole career. They overlap so that there's never a chance if one of them really shits the bed. Um, my, my, my rationale is I'm already with another one. Yeah, like what are you going to do? Take, take it away from me in mid production like you still have to pay you yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm pay or play now damn it you know the uh the, for a long time it, it really was that this could go away so fast i better just keep going and not look down it's like wily e. coyote off the cliff you know if i look down i'm gonna fall so just look ahead and keep working and i'm only now 10 years into it kind of saying all right what i want to do is spend time with my children and what i want to do is sleep and i want to take naps because i'm older and I, I, I missed really formative parts of, of my kids' lives doing these shows sometimes. And the, the sense that I'm never getting that back for a movie that A.O. Scott really didn't love. You know, <laughs> you know like, like uh, that, that's starting to kind of sink in. And the sense that like I'm, I'm looking around the room and, and realizing it's like, okay, I've got an amazing life. I've got a great house. Gratefulness. Yeah. I got everything I'll ever need. How about I relax for a minute, take a break? And just play with my kids. And, and that's become my priority for the last couple of years. And is only really going to kind of kick in now that this one's over. Um, but like Bly Manor, as I'm sitting here talking to you, something is happening that has never happened in the history of my career. Which is as you and I are having this conversation right now. In another country, they are filming an episode of The Haunting of Bly Manor. And I'm not there. And that 
is crazy. Wait, they're filming an episode yeah. of Blind Manor, and you being the producer, writer, creator, yep, director, showrunner. Yeah. You don't direct all of them, obviously. Uh, this time I don't, but like I did Obviously, because yeah. you're here. Yep. And you're going crazy, kind of? I'm going of? nuts. Yeah. I, I, and, you gotta you know, let go. I know. Well, I spent the morning before I got here, I spent the morning on a conference call with all the department heads, uh, just doing a, a tone meeting on the next episode. Um, my, my directors for the next block have just hit the ground. Um, uh, they directed this movie uh, with Martin Freeman on Netflix called Cargo, a, zombo, a zombie movie that made me cry. Great film, which is why Write I wanted that down. to do Cargo this. and uh, Mungo. Yeah, Cargo and Mungo. <laughs> so this uh, is also being, Australians. This is being filmed yeah, in uh, Vancouver. Right in now. Vancouver, you're yeah. not there. You got to learn how to let it go. Yeah. Because you got to trust the people around you. you yeah. Trust. Hey, well, we I built... can't do everything. Right. I can't control everything. You're a control freak a little bit. Very much. I always write the thing and then I shoot the thing and then I always edit the thing myself. And I'm I'm just now relaxing that grip because I've put together an amazing team. A lot of the people up there worked on season one. I've been all over every script. I've oriented everybody. I was up there for all the prep. I shot my episode, the first one. I got everybody up to speed. It's time to let go. Right. Or I'm going to drive them crazy. And you're going to drive yourself crazy. Yeah. And by the way, I'm as your psychiatrist today. <laughs> you're mine. I always need a psychiatrist. But I will. Th I think of this. I think it's something you said about 25 minutes ago, which is if Warner Brothers will allow you to change something after everything's pretty much locked and yeah. change a scene around. Yeah. I think that if you really something went that badly, which it probably won't, but if something you can't cut around to shoot something extra for this, yeah, I think it's doable. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry yourself on these things. No, but it's it's what I love about <laughs> it is like I woke up this morning, I played with my kids. Kate is so happy that I'm there and not yeah. in Vancouver, and I'm going to go back. It's not like I'm leaving them forever. It's just like I I, I had to do press, I had to open Doctor Sleep. I'm you're here. tired. I'm tired. And and I said I'm taking a week for me. Do it. Know? And I'm just going to be be a dad. You have ADD? Uh probably. I'm not not diagnosed. Right, I do. But, I take yeah. a little Vyvanse. I don't, um, I've never taken anything. I I I've, I don't think I anything anymore if I needed that. to. Well, it just helps um, but, me to like focus. Yeah. Once I focus on something, I can focus. If I yeah. if I So Vyvanse what that does and I don't recommend anybody taking this. I'm just saying it helps me. Sure. Because I was diagnosed with it. But it's like, you know, if I'm all over the place getting a million things done, I got to do this, I got to do this. If you have to, it doesn't force you to sit at the computer and start writing. No. It, if you do so, you can then zone in and just do that. It helps you focus on one thing because my mind's going everywhere. That's, that's why I've done it. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, look, I'm, look, you got to go, don't you? I'm good. Is this fun? I'm up to you. I'm, I'm having a blast. Do you think this is like the best podcast you've probably been on? This is, I, I love this podcast. This is really <laughs> wonderful. Yeah. And, and, well, I love that, it. Most people, you know, you talk about the same five things. You, you, it's like I answered the same five questions and it's like, thanks. And we're off. But this is, I mean, we're having a, a pretty serious conversation here. I love this. Yeah, because I yeah. like you. You're a likable guy. And, and um, look, this could be cut, but I'm going to, this is somebody you worked with um, in Oculus, and she left a voicemail. I said, hey, if you want to say something, just say it. We could always edit this. Bloody good, how are you? Karen <laughs> Gillen. I miss you dearly, and I very much cannot wait to see Doctor Sleep. It looks epic. You know, Kubrick is my favorite, and I couldn't think of a better filmmaker to bring a sequel to the world. And, yeah, I'm very excited for you and the movie and all of the people that we know that are, that are in the movie. I'm on a flight right now, so they're probably going to tell me to get off my phone right now. <laughs> Miss you, bye. So that's Karen Gillan from Guardians of the Galaxy 2. She's, she was, uh, she's been in everything. She was an Oculus. I, I remember I interviewed her on the show, and 
we talked about that monologue that she has. Yeah. And I said, I can, I I can, I don't think I can remember, you know, when I work with Flanagan, just don't give me 10 pages of dialogue. Well, I love doing that to people though. Do you? Yeah. How long do they get? You don't change your writing around like Kubrick. You're not going to start writing no. the set. No, I hate rewriting. So and, once we yeah. have the script and you have lines, I have lines. Like, yeah. Learn your lines, you'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, good. You don't change. And if you around. come to me and you're like, "Hey, I have some, I have some ideas for changing lines," and I'll be like, "Oh, oh, do you?" And, and <laughs> I, I really, I hate. I, I over the years, I've gotten really grouchy about it. But no, I, I, I love people to have that stuff early. My favorite way to shoot that stuff. Poor Karen had to do. It took her two days to shoot that bit, right? Because two I was, days to shoot that. Yeah. Because I had decided in my eagerness, that scene was, I think it was uh, 15 pages long, right? Right. And so I thought, this scene is could be incredibly boring. This is the one where, this is my first real movie. Everyone's going to come at me. I better make sure that I'm covered editorially. I think this would be cool if I edit to a different angle on every sentence of the 15 pages. And I do. I am not on a single shot for more than one sentence in that whole sequence and so I covered it exhaustively and expected Karen to be able to just keep it up. How many times did you have to say it? Oh, my God. I mean, we went past Z on the slate. I mean, we ran the alphabet on the slate. So people were going, yeah. was she like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, Mike, she was I nervous, fucking, too. Like, yeah. you, I mean, how do I learn these lines? If they're going out, once you do it, you fucking... Well, she, I think at the time, and coming off Doctor Who, I mean, she was... This was her first, uh, her first studio film. It was my first film. We were nervous in the same way. So she wanted as many at-bats as she could get. It's like, if you look at it, it's, it's a direct, a very young director's insecurity manifest in the coverage of that scene, right? But I love the scene. I'm thrilled with what she did. What I do now, and if you talk to Robert Longstreet about his seven-minute monologue, what I love oh to do... Oh, my God. How nervous was he? I know. Oh, wow. he was, he's he an, was shitting And himself. he's an amazing actor. He just wants to be great, and he's so intense. He's got well, so, so much... Good. He's so good in Haunting so of Hill House. He plays the, uh, the what's it called? The, Mr. Uh, Dudley, the Mr. caretaker. The caretaker. Yep. He, um, and he, I mean, he decimates that monologue. But if you notice, what I do now, now that I've gotten older, <laughs> um, I, I build a medium and uh, I have you run it once um, for timing. It's for my dolly grip to learn how long it takes you to get to the end of the monologue. And in his case, it was five pages and it was about six minutes. And once the dolly grip knows, uh, we roll a take and your coverage is medium with a slow push to close that takes the duration of the monologue. That's intimidating. Yeah, no shit. That can be very intimidating. It gets worse. The thing I refuse to do, because I don't want to be second guessed editorially, even though I'm often editing it, I won't shoot a reverse on whoever you're talking to. Um, I won't. What? Yes. You have no cutaway? No cutaway. Well, what do you, so you would just keep doing it and uh, hey, you need cue cards. We'll get cue cards, but we're not doing this. Yeah. Have you and, ever had to get cue cards? No, I've never had to do, well, yeah, I can't say who, but yes. Um, Some, I mean, you've had yeah. to do it. Did I've had to do, I've, I've had to, no, no, I, for me, it's whatever an actor needs to deliver their best work, whatever that process is within reason, I will support. What about an earwig? Yeah, I'd support Robert that. Downey Jr. supposedly uses Yeah, I, I would completely support that. It, 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 as long as it's not um, making things worse for their fellow performers, I will support it. If part of their process is disruptive and making it harder for another actor to do their job, then I'm going to push back. In general, for me, I'm like, look, what you're, you know what you need in order to do your best work as an actor. I'm here to facilitate that, and I'm here to show you what I think this scene looks like. And you and I together make that happen. And we do it in a way that we both high five at the end of the day and say like, we just did something fucking awesome. And that's how I want to work. 
Um, so if it's cue cards, whatever it takes. Robert was super terrified. He did four takes. That's it. Four takes. Um, the one that, that we printed is three. We ran a safety. <laughs> we ran a safety so at it. his request. There's one thing that you... Yeah. Right. And, was and that the, the best one? No. Three was the best. Four was... Uh, I think he just wanted to know he, he did it again. And I, my other policy on set is if an actor requests another take, no matter what time it is, he gets uh, it. He, they get it. In the same way that if my DP says I need, I need another, another, they get it. It's respect. Yeah. It's love. It's yeah. like a loving set. I and even if, it, it, very often, nine times out of 10, if an actor says, I, I think we got it, but I want to run one more, something awesome happens. And the one time out of 10, if it doesn't, if it's like, well, nope, we've just proven to ourselves, we had it. And that's great. That's worth it right there. Do you ever you, have actors that don't that don't like you that you don't get along with? Yeah, sure. Really? Yeah. And you're like, I'm a nice guy because what I'm what I'm getting here. I'm gonna let's listen to this message. Yeah, yeah. Remember, we can cut this down. So what we're hearing, all right. This is another message to um, Mike Flanagan from Robert Longstreet, who is the <laughs> caretaker. Beautiful fucking soul that man is. What I would say is just that his sets are so safe. They're big. Scary should be scary, intimidating places, but he's always relaxed and silly, you know, and coaches a great, great, loving, supportive performance out of you. And then he's writing so good that it's easy to do that because none of it sticks in your mouth like a brick. And then he's an impeccable editor, so he makes the most out of what you do. So it's just, it's all so carefully thought out with him that it's just, unbelievably safe that man has changed my life i love him that man has changed my life uh yeah he's changed my life karen gillen said uh you were the reason why she came to america you got her into america with oculus right yeah that's right mm-hmm. does it make you emotional yeah i'm it's, looking it's, at you yeah. getting emotional i like that that's, yeah. that's for human no no it's um there are people throughout my career that i feel like we've kind of climbed through the trenches together, you know, like I brought Karen to America for her first movie, but she also carried me through my first movie, you know? So, so it's anything that I ever did for Karen Gillan, she did for me and, and Robert, you know, uh, I've worked with now twice and I'm about to work with again. He's know? doing blind manner. He's, he's, he's not, he couldn't do Bly cause he's doing uh, Halloween. What's it called? Bl- Bly manner. Bly yeah. manner. B-L-Y-E. Uh, B-L-Y. B-L-Y. Yeah. Got um, it. Got it. And, uh, but he's doing my next thing called Midnight Mass, which is kind of my baby. Um, so you ha- you're very uh, loyal. You just, you just yes. want to use, you're like uh, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell. Oh my God, yeah. You're like, if you like somebody yeah. and you oh, just yeah. like working with them. Oh, I love it. Well, and you get the best out of them. That's what I, what yeah. I like about you is I, I already trust you where I'm going to go on set if I work for you, which I hope to hell I do. I know that you just got my back. You can just tell you're that guy. I know by these people's responses, by the people you've worked with. And it's there's something, when, when he says the word safe, that when you have that safety on set, you feel you're better. You're just better. Yeah. When you have people supporting you on set, you feel better. When you're, when Everybody's you're, better. You're right, right, yeah. right, right. And that's kind of the thing. When, when, the, when the crew respects the cast and when the cast respects the process, you know, and, and it's down to the little, the most intangible things change the temperature of a set. Right. You know, people being on time changes the temperature, cast and crew. Um, I, I exhaustively shot list every scene um, long before we're ever on set, not because I want it to be rigid. I, I just want to build scaffolding in which we can all play. I'm, I'm wide open to changing things, especially as we discover things together. 
It's that I want to show that I respect what we're doing enough to have built the scaffolding that I'm never going to show up there and say, what are we going to do today? You know, um, I, I have at least the first answer, the first answer in that volley. Um, and it's all there. Uh, overheads and, and shot lists and diagrams and blocking diagrams. And you guys can look at it and say like, well, I actually think I'd, I'd, I, oh, what about this? I'm going to play it this way. It could be even better. And my thing is like, that can absolutely be better. Katie Sackhoff yeah. said something about like she, uh, she worked with you on Oculus. Oh, yeah. You know, for Battlestar Galactica folks and tons of movies. You've seen her and everything. Her message didn't come out great, so I, I couldn't play it. But she said something. She was like, Mike, I want to be on the floor or something. I want to crawl around or something. Yeah. You're like, oh, okay. Is that, you're just free yeah. like that. You're like, have you, I mean, of course, you're like, if you have like, well, we got to be ramped in an hour. You well, know, or if I disagree, I'll say so. If I say like, you know, I, I don't see that, you know, I, I, I don't see that landing as, as well as I see this other option, but I respect the hell out of it. And it's, I'm always going to have a conversation. The other thing is it costs me nothing to try it. Right. Like nothing. And, and part of the thing I think with some, some filmmakers are really scared that if they take someone else's idea, it makes them look weak or like they're not, I've learned different. They don't have authorship. It takes you, it's maturity. Yeah. It's taking me some maturity to just go, that's better going with that. Yeah. You go with the best idea. Best idea always wins. And the thing about, film and television it's 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 hundreds of people it's the most collaborative art form in the world and so if you think an idea is less valid because you didn't have it you're you're not going to make it or or you are going to make it no one's going to like to work with you like kubrick (laughs) and and i don't know you know to what extent i know nicholson you know absolutely put his mark all over all over that work the ways people collaborate are very different but um, you know, like, and Katie Sackhoff is a great example of an actor who I worked with, who I've been desperate to work with again. And, and, and I just haven't, uh, the stars haven't aligned yet, but it will, I have no doubt. And then, you know, there are some people who, uh, I don't gel with on set, you know, they're very few. Um, what is it about an actor that you just like, is it a kind of a, a false bravado or like the like a bravado on set, like a. Uh, sort of like, I know everything. This is how we're going to do it. Why are we here? Let's go. Hurry up. When are we wrapping? Somebody that just doesn't yeah, want to be there. I can usually tell, uh, I can get a good good reading on on who an actor is by how they treat uh, the PAs. That's oh, how I can tell. Yeah. Unless they're deeply self-destructive. When I first meet any actor, they are going to be so easy. Everyone's just gushing with enthusiasm and praise and they're so malleable and everything's great. It's how they deal with the second AD with real people at four thirty in the morning. Yeah, of. it's like that's who they are. Are they fucking ready? Yeah, I've been in my trailer for three hours. What the fuck are they doing? Yeah, like or or like you know they get invited to set and forty five minutes later. Well, you know, last time I came to set, you weren't ready. What yeah. am I doing Stallone? What was that? Yeah, I, Yo, that was pretty Stallone. Next time yeah. I, I'm a set, I come <laughs> over and wait an hour. Like you know, that's my time. This is your time, Mr. Hand. What movie is that from? Uh, I, that one I don't know. Fast Times at Richmond High, but not oh, hey. in that voice. I did Stallone oh, in Fast Times. I was thinking Stallone, and I was like, do I have to go all the way to like uh, <laughs> stop where my mom will shoot? Like how <laughs> I'm going deep Stallone in my head. Deep Stallone. Um, but uh, the people that do, you know, kind of elevate the rest of, of the cast and the crew, um, that shorthand is worth so much. And that trust, when I can trust an actor, that's worth so much. Um, that that's why I, I do get to work with a lot of the same people again and again. And 
You know they'll deliver. You know that they're going to be fun on set. You know yeah. that they care about people. Well, and I know that they respect my process. I know how to respect their process. And it doesn't mean we're not going to have our moments here and there where we're all tired, exhausted, and stressed. Mm-hmm. But we have them together, and we have them in a way that's like, you know, it's safe, even if you're frustrated with someone. It's like a great marriage. Yeah. You, you may disagree, but it's always with kindness. You may right. get frustrated, but it's never personal. You know, like like that kind of stuff's beautiful. And yeah, I, there there are people. You know, I've I've had, I've had Henry now in five of my things. Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas, the great Henry Thomas. Five of uh, Wow. Five times we've worked together. He's now. fantastic. I, he I love him. By so the way, much. your yeah. wife Kate is yeah. brilliant. She is. She's. She's in, you yeah. met her on Absentia. I met her on. Uh, I met her. In between Absentia and, and Oculus, she was the ghost in Oculus. Right. Yeah. She's and in Haunting of Hill House, she's tremendous. That yeah. whole cast is tremendous. I'm just like, yeah. So you met, were you, how do you do that? Oh, you, you said in between. Are you lying? Did you say you met him in between because you don't want to say you met her on set? I, I, I did meet her in between. She actually auditioned for another project that never, never happened. Another, another movie. That's how I met her. And I saw her in a play in LA prior to that. Well, did you make the first move? It depends on who you ask. I will always go, say Kate that she Siegel. did. Yeah, I, <laughs> Kate Siegel. Kate yeah, Siegel. I, um, yeah, no, we had we had a pretty scandalous kind of beginning. The two. Whoa. Of us. Yeah, you know, um, but uh, but it all worked out. But um, yeah, it was did two kids, Duh. two kids, and and the other thing about it is, I often say like that's the collaboration of my life uh, because it's it's as as profoundly kind of effective for me offset and onset. I love being on set with her. I love working with Kate, which is one of the things that made us want to get married. It was after we finished hush. And I was like, if we survived that, cause we wrote it together. We had a, uh, an accelerated and brutal production schedule. That was six day weeks, all nights. Um, was she mad at you sometimes. Oh yeah. Well, and she's the whole, she's carrying the whole movie alone. She doesn't have dialogue. You know, she has no, uh, one of her arms is tied behind her back in the film, essentially, because she can't This talk. hurts, Mike. This yeah. hurts me. And I know. Can you just bear with it for, it's cinema. And I'm like, just, just jump through the window, like we talked about, and I can't put a pad down because it's a wide. Sorry, honey. Bye. <laughs> and, um, and we didn't see the sun for three weeks. It was, it was, we, we were nocturnal beings, the whole, the whole cast and crew. And we all went nuts and we only had a million bucks. Uh, but yeah, so Kate and I, we really, um, we came out of it and it was like, we should, we should be married if we, if we survived that. And she likes horror? Loves horror. Ooh, that's a, that's a good thing. It is. What's your favorite horror movie to watch together? Oh man. Uh, I don't know if we have one that we revisit a lot together. Last night we watched, uh, Don't Look Now. Um, oh my God. That's a key. Uh, Sutherland, Donald Sutherland. Yeah, I love that's that. That's old um, school. The, yeah. the, the ending. The ending's so incredible. Creepy. Incredible. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, I've I've also gotten the distinct pleasure of tripping over movies she hasn't seen. You that's know? always fun. It's I like going to an amusement so park much. for the first time with like your, 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 you know, a girlfriend or something. Yeah. Oh, you got to go on this ride. I love this ride. Well, and I'll be like, well, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll make I'll, I'll, I'll make a Goldblum joke, you know, right. and, okay. and she'll be like, uh-huh. I'll be like, you know, from the fly. And she'll be like, uh-huh. I'm like, wait, you haven't, you haven't, seen, you haven't the seen the fly. And she's like, no, 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 I haven't. I was like, no, don't do that thing where you tell me you've seen it. Cause you know that I'm about to make you stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah. And then it's like, all right, put the kid down, give, you know, put the kid, we're going to lock the kid in this room. So it can't make noise while we watch the fly. And she's like, that's not acceptable parenthood. And then later after the kids are asleep, we watch the fly. All right. Yeah. I, first of all, la- yeah. I'm going to let you get out of here and we're going to take a picture. This, this has been, I'm just going to say it. It's just, this is probably my favorite. 
This is my, I mean, it's so fun to talk to you that I just, let's just finish up with Dr. Sleep. Dr. Sleep, I'm, I'm pushing this to Tuesday. So this is coming out Tuesday because I want people to listen to it and I want everybody out there to go see Dr. Sleep. I would not have had him here if I didn't think that Mike Flanagan was going to make a movie worth watching, a movie that I can't wait to see. I just wouldn't do it. I think you guys know me. And um, Dr. Sleep, for everybody that's listening, you have to go because you know we're going to tweet about it. We're going to talk about it. I know. I'm, I'm so excited. And, and he invited me to a, a screening. Can I say that? Yes. But I can't go because I'm going to be in Austin this weekend. We can fix that, though, when you get back. We'll figure something out. Um, do a screening at your house, maybe. I can do that. You have a screening room? I do. Is it really nice? It's not as nice as yours. Well, actually. mine's kind of a makeshift one, right? Sort of. No, but it's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, 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 um, well, I think from what I, can, from what I can see, your screen's a little bigger. That's a 120. It's five inch. Not that big. I think mine's at 120. Okay, so it's right it's, around it's, there. Yeah, it's, it's ish. Really good sound. Yeah, I think I think. But your, I bet your good. visuals, because if you online, you might go. Eh, I don't know. The darks are a little crushed. Uh, I don't know. I wish we would have watched this at my home, uh, Mr. Flanagan. Oh, so <laughs> you, you've you've heard about my screening voice. Then. No, what, <laughs> is that what you sound? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. what Kate, Kate would absolutely say. Yes, that's exactly what he sounds like. But then we, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, look, wherever no, you want to we'll watch, it. Yeah, we I, should. I would love to. Um, That'd be great. Look, I'm so excited about this movie. Your work ethic is just ridiculous. I don't know how you survive, but you are managing and you're working and you're learning how to just be present and be with your family and enjoy that. And work is work, and work, you are not your work, correct? Correct. You used to be. Yes, very much. And I that mean. would have probably killed you eventually. Oh, it would have killed me very quickly. I Do you see therapy? I love therapy. I love therapy Therapy's too. Therapy's the greatest. Do you every week? I, 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 it's been a minute just because I've been working. But yes, uh, before it was twice a week for a long time. And, and I, it's like going to the gym. It's like there's no downside. I feel like every human being should be in therapy. But what do you talk about? Like you, did you have a good childhood real quick? Yeah, I had Your a parents great- parents were cool. I had a great childhood. And I, and I think, you know, that's one of the things that's always so strange to me because people come at me and they're like, what happened Your to parents you? were fucked. Yeah, like what the fuck happened to you? <laughs> Who hurt you? You know, and it's like, no, I actually... My parents were terrific, are terrific. I had a very safe and happy childhood. And I think that's why I got so scared of the idea that that could be disrupted. And that's why I, 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 I'm like a moth to flame when it comes to stories of familial trauma and generational trauma. I just keep diving for them. I don't know why. That's but, obvious. O- yeah. Yeah. Oculus, Haunting of Hill House, the uh, Doctor Sleep, every one of them. Yeah. It's, 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 it is a, uncomfortably kind of omnipresent motif for me. And, and I didn't even realize it till they really started piling up. And it was like, Oh, this is what I do. These are the stories that I grab. Getting studio execs when you're going in for a pitch, they go, Hey, Flanagan's coming in. Five bucks says it's family dysfunction. Yes. (laughs) You're on. Oh, good. Now we get to see a (laughs) multi-generational exploration of grief. And then you like, then you come in, you go, okay, it's this. And the other guy goes, yeah, I knew it. And then he goes in space. (laughs) Wait, what? I've got to get to that. So You want to get to space? Where is the the level of franchise where you get to go to space? Because I think it's like number four. And I've I've always wanted to have enough success with one of these titles that I can finally either go to space or the hood or like wherever you get to go in the late kind of straight to video phase of your horror franchise. But like making a movie that's in space. Yeah, but it, like Hellraiser in space, Leprechaun in space. Wow. You know, like uh, what critters in? Well, they were from space, they but then they went space. back to space. Yeah, yeah. Like you know, <laughs> at what point do I get to do Oculus in space? Uh, none of my movies really ever kind of generate a sequel. So Doctor Sleep, you've read The Shining, 
You've read Dr. Sleep, obviously. You had to go through hell to get Stephen King. Although it, sound, it doesn't sound like it was that difficult. You just had a really good idea, and you came through. You followed through, and he liked it, and he liked the movie. Yes, yes. So, I mean, this is like, this is pretty extraordinary. This is probably, you think this is, there'll be a bigger moment than this with your career? Uh, I always hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, I'm I, like, oh, this is enough. I always, Please, I, get this I hate role. to have that moment where, like, oh, I just peaked. Oh, shit. But, um, but isn't that okay? It would be fine at this Isn't point. that okay for me? Like, I'd be you okay know, with it. If somebody said, hey, if this thing and this thing is all you did, is that right? I'm like, yeah, of course. I, I got a house. I have friends. I could do what I want. I write. I no, if, if it did go away tomorrow, I'd be okay. But you're that. insatiable. Yeah. That, that's what it is. You just want to keep going. You want to push yourself. You want to create something. You want to entertain. You yeah. want to give the people what they want in a way, but you also want to be satisfied with what you're giving. Well, I'm also, I'm, I'm utterly unemployable at anything else. I know that now. You can't do anything else. I can't can you play piano. Else. I can play piano. Good. You can? But not well. I asked one thing and he said yes. <laughs> I can play piano, but I can't read music. So I can't do it like professionally. Well, favorite right. band? Oh, geez. Don't say something current because I won't know them. Um, I've got a, okay. Um, Chicago. Nothing current. Are you, because I mean, for me, like. What, what comes out? Well, you're thinking something. I Gregory Allen Isakoff, Ben Folds. Ben um, Folds. Def Leppard. Dude, Def um, Leppard was just in yeah. Vegas and I missed them and I saw him a few years back. I, I, I heard love them. Vegas, What's your favorite so Def Leppard song? Photograph. How does it go? Wait. Photograph. I don't want your photograph. How does it start though? Not love, no. Yeah, out yeah. of luck, got a photograph, photograph picture, picture of. I think mine might be. Oten, gleeten, glauten, gloven. All right. I got something to say. You don't know that? It's better than burnout. Pour some sugar on me. Pour some sugar on me. Um, what's the other one? Uh, God, uh, love. Love. Love bites. Love bites. Love bleeds. Sorry, we're killing you out there. I yeah. love that you love Def Leppard. <laughs> I remember that Pyromania album with the the building or something. Oh Die, yeah, yeah. Die Hard, The Hunter. Yes, and it was so weird because I would. It's like I had my Def Leppard side of me over here, and then the other one that I was obsessed with in the same breath. I could be like, I'm just going to hit pause on the Def Leppard, and I'm going to put in my Richard Marks. Dude, and Richard Marx like, is on the podcast. He sang two songs. What? Dude, Marx is a buddy. Ah! I had to cut him out of the mo little movie I directed because it just didn't. He was great, but it didn't work. But first concert I ever saw in my life, Richard Marx. Richard, that what's was your favorite? Concert. He gave me a free song for the movie. That's what like song? twenty grand. He gave me um, "Endless Summer Nights." It's I remember every moment. Ah, yeah. And I remember every moment Time was all we had until the day we said goodbye Dude Yeah You know James Gunn, the director? Yeah He's a good buddy of mine And on set he'd always be like Oh my god, Rose and Mum listens to the shittiest music <laughs> Oh, play some more Little River Band Play some more Christopher Cross I'm like, these are great musicians They gave me great <laughs> Uh, look, man, this has been a freaking trip. Will you yeah. come back? Oh, anytime. Promise me anytime this. Anytime at all. I will come back anytime. You don't have to promise me that I'll be in yeah. one of your things. Maybe Absolutely. someday. Yes, soon. Yeah, we'll do the next thing. We'll do Midnight Mass. We'll get you in there. Um, Jesus Christ. You already see, thinking of something? Yeah, I got a couple ideas. We'll talk We'll talk offline. I got a Jesus. few I got a few ideas that could work. But let me talk to you. I want yeah. you back on every, regardless of what happens, on every project you do, you come back and talk to me first. Deal. Or I, I just want to sit down with you and talk to you. And I will, because I, I love your work, man. I think you're an Likewise. amazing human being. This has been a lot of fun. You're so down to earth. Thank you. Guys, go see Dr. Sleep. What's your Instagram and Twitter? 
uh, 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 Instagram and Twitter are both Flanagan Film. The Instagram, though, is only for pizza. So if you're looking for anything interesting, <laughs> there's nothing cool there. It's only pictures of pizza. <laughs> um, and, and I have to do – so this is, this is what I've been waiting for this whole time. Yeah. All right? Because what I, what I didn't tell you on the way in the door right. um, is that I am a huge – and I mean huge – Smallville fan. Get lost. Rabid, yes. Uh, my, my roommates and I in college lived and died on the show. Right, and the reason why is I've been obsessed with Superman in that world since I was a kid. I used to wear a full Superman outfit under my clothes at school, and I insisted my friends call me Clark. And I would come home and rip off the shirt and stand on the the side of the road, and I would wave at cars and I'd say "Drive safely" because I assumed that's what Superman okay. would want. So, this is what I almost did when I came into your house, and it it it, it was that close, and I didn't do it. So I'm going to do it right now Go ahead. to send us home. Do it, Michael Rosenbaum. No. So you really were, I'm like, when you, when you were talking about that back then, I'm like, yeah, I'm not that big of a star. I'm just like a guy who worked a little bit. But you're like, you were thinking about it. Yeah. That that makes me feel like really, I, maybe I am somebody. <laughs> Mike, you know what I'm going to give you today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Tom Welling and I made this wine for Knocking Point One. They asked us to make it. So it's a picture. We designed the picture, the wine. So it's our faces facing each other like Clark. And so first of all, I'm going to give you, we're, we're doing another one for Knocking Point coming out in January. So I don't know why I'm leaking that out, but whatever. They just, you know, they offer you money and they give you a hundred bottles of wine. And you say, fuck yeah. So I'm, I'm going to give you two bottles of wine. Wow. There are our faces over. You could pour it out or you could put it wherever. I'm also going to give you something very special since you're a small fan because I just actually went through memorabilia. I found... An autographed first picture of the pilot episode of every character signed it. I know some might one might what? I think one might be in jail right now. I don't know. There's things that I happen. I have been keeping up with but that. But it's autographed yeah. by the entire cast. I'm wow. going to give you that. That dude, that's you don't. Have you got to put it in your that. room though. No, I will frame that and put it in a spot of honor in my room. Dude, are you kidding me? I I, I found a new best friend. You just I have know to. You... you have to retroactively sign it to me. I'll just add two yeah. mic. Just add two mic in the corner, and I'll just put it right up. It's done. Perfect. Ryan, let me ask you something. You haven't been here at all. No, you guys have been having a great... This has been fun. No, you, <laughs> no it's been fun. But honest, like, you didn't know, Mike. You're you were, not so, ex- you were so excited when I you am because You were so like a child. I just like... I, I, he's just he's just great. I, I think he's like... I, I think there's so much more that we haven't even seen yet. Like, he's, you're only 41. Yeah. You know, the big directors. I mean, they... You know, I mean, you're hitting your stride, man, with Dr. Sleep. And you it feels good right now. Yeah. I mean, it does. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was excited. Even more so than I think any other uh, guest. I mean, we have great guests. Rain Wilson's there, Eli Roth's here, uh, Jenna Fisher, a lot of great people. But you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to get the word out for this movie. It deserves it. I haven't even seen it, and I'm telling you, I know it's good because I know your work. That's it. All right. Well, this has been such a joy. Let's do it all the time, all the time. Yeah, man. She gets mad when I go out and get high. And she tells me I'm too old And threatens goodbye
Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was a three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.